Alright, so we are starting on the book of Haggai, and I'm real excited about this book. There's a lot in these two chapters uh, I'm really anxious to get to, so I've got a lot I want to try to pack in uh, tonight's message. And so this book, this particular book of the Bible, not the most well-known one, you don't hear a ton of preaching out of the book of Haggai, but it is a very important book for many reasons. But one of the reasons I think it's, um, it's important is the study of this book it will help us understand many prophecies concerning Israel that have already been fulfilled that the dispensationalists say are still yet to come. Now, chapter 2 is where it has more prophecy, uh, but I, uh, what I want to do this week is I want to just kind of uh, make sure you understand what's going on when Haggai is speaking. It's so important because the time of from the Babylonian captivity... And that time where they come out of captivity, where they rebuild Jerusalem, so much prophecy was fulfilled and given during that time. And, you know, the dispensationalists, they like to accuse us post-trib replacement people of, like, stealing Israel's prophecies. You know, you're always taking these promises away from Israel. But they're the ones who, literally, they, they take Israel's prophecies that have been fulfilled and act like they're still to come for Israel. And, they, and it, it gets their theology really whacked out and messed up. And so, very important that we understand what is going on in this book when he's saying the things that he said. And then there's also a very important life application uh, that we can make in, in our own personal lives, in our families. And so, look at what it says in verse 1. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So, the people, they're saying it's not time for the house of God to be built. This was wrong. It was, in fact, time for God's house to be built. Now, why wasn't it being built? What was going on? Well, What's happened right now, where we're at in history, the Babylonian captivity is over. The Babylonians have been taken over by the Medes and Persians. We see Darius is the king during this time. And if you remember in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, the famous Daniel prophecy that everybody still talks about, he said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in the everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, don't worry, I'm not going where y'all think I'm going with this tonight, but notice in this very next verse what it says. Know therefore, and understand, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So notice when he starts off Daniel 70th, uh, 70 weeks, he says it begins from the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem. This was something that Daniel prophesied about, something that Daniel understood through the writings of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. And then he said, from the time of the going forth of that command to the Messiah is 69 weeks. Now, we can have an argument if we want about, does that go to Jesus' birth, his baptism, 
his death on the cross. You know, where, where does that go to? And you know what? I think it's a great discussion. I think it's a great subject. And it's amazing how emotional people get if you don't line up with them on those things. I'd love to talk about those kind of things. I like hearing other ideas. Some people don't like to hear other ideas. They only want to hear their thoughts on everything. But that's not me. And uh, that's another subject for another day. But notice, though, this is very important because we know when it starts from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. And he didn't say 69 weeks. He said seven weeks and 60 and two weeks, which is kind of an interesting way to put it. So it's almost like there's seven weeks or 49 years and then there's the rest. I, I, I'm not good enough at math to tell you 62 times 7 right here. I think it's... No, I'm not going to try. i, I got to stay focused, okay? I can think... If I thought about it for a minute, I could get it. But verse... Uh, so, uh, verse 26 and verse 27 says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the, and the people, the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations. He shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So uh, again, these 70 weeks were so important because God's going to be dealing with Jerusalem. They're going to be in trouble. And it's a great prophecy because while there's destruction, we also see a prophecy of the Messiah in there too. And what's funny, I just listened to a pre-tribber, a pro-Jew pre-tribber who has a ministry reaching the Jews, preaching a message on how to present the gospel to the Jews. And you know what he did? He said in his gospel presentation to Jews, he goes through and shows uh, different things about the Messiah and, and how certain things, you know, there's certain criteria that has to be met. And you know what this guy preached? A pre-tribber? a dispensational pre-tribber. You know what he preached? He preached that the Messiah had to come before 70 AD because it had to come before Daniel's 70 weeks were fulfilled. And it's funny because every prophecy preacher has preached about the events of 70 AD and all those things. But when somebody comes along and just says, hey, that's interesting. I agree with that. So if these things were fulfilled... Are we sure they're all going to happen again? Shouldn't we just look at the things that the Bible clearly says are going to happen again, like in Revelation, and maybe not focus so much on those other things? Isn't that important? Because if we're just going to claim dual fulfillment every time we want something to happen twice, then why can't we claim dual fulfillment on the virgin birth? I believe it's going to happen again. Well, no, it already happened. Uh, Dual fulfillment. Uh, That's kind of dumb, isn't it? So, you know, these are, these are good things. But again, it, um, I'm tell, it's, it's like with a lot of the prophecy gurus that are out there. I'm, talk, I'm talking about the pre-trib guys too. They talk about all this stuff, but it's like they'll bring these facts up because they have to, but they don't focus on them. It's like they need you all ignorant about the events of this time in the book of Haggai because otherwise you're going to be reading these things and you're going to say, you know what? God's done with Israel. <laughs> you know, Israel... Israel got what, what they had coming to them. You know, and if you say God's not done with Israel, it's because they still got more judgment coming. But anyway, that's another subject for another day. But notice how Daniel 9, it started out, we're not going to go back and read it, 
referring to the prophet Jeremiah. Now, turn over to Ezra chapter 1. Okay, turn over to Ezra chapter 1. So Daniel prophesied from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. That gets the clock started on these 70 weeks that we're waiting for where the Messiah is going to come during that time. And it says in Ezra 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. You know what that is right there, folks? That is the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. This is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy right here. And when you're reading the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah and it's telling all these stories about them rebuilding Jerusalem, folks, it's a big deal because this is fulfillment of prophecy. This is prophecy being fulfilled right now. And, it's, and so, this, so we know that the clock started of Daniel's 70 weeks in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Okay? Now, uh, after the work had begun... We're going to see that after the death of Cyrus and during the reign of Ahasuerus, the work ended up being stopped. Now turn to chapter 4 of Ezra and verse 5. It said, hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. While the work was going on, they had opposition. You do work for the Lord, you're going to have opposition. Just face it. It says, all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And if you go and you read that, they basically are warning Ahasuerus, hey, these Jews are a bunch of rebels. They've stood against kings before. If they rebuild those walls, they're going to rebel against you. And they're just they're throwing all these things at him, trying to get the king mad at him to stop the work. Now, in verse 23, it says, Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius. Do you all see that? So now I don't know for sure how much time um, passed. Okay, And you know a lot of the chronologies and charts and things that are out there I don't, you don't know how trustworthy they are. I try to base all these things on the Bible alone, but it gets a little confusing because I don't know how long Cyrus reigned. I don't know how long Ahasuerus reigned. So it's really hard just using the Bible to keep track of all these years. And it's, I'm just going to tell you right now, I can't give you exact numbers uh, here. It doesn't mean it can't be done. I'm just not, I'm not prepared to do that right now. But I'm just showing you all this to show you how that for years they were doing the work, but then it stopped. And then in the second year of Darius, it started again, which is exactly where we're at in the beginning of Haggai. We're in the second year of Darius because the work had been stopped. Now, if you go on and you keep reading in Ezra, we'll look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Then the prophets... Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them 
Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. So what we're reading, so right here, this book of Haggai, you can kind of put it in between chapter 4 and 5. Or right there in chapter 5 in Ezra, the work is stopped, and then God sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and they got up and they basically told the children of Israel, you know what, who cares what the, gov- the king's saying right now? It's time for us to get back to work. Who cares what they're saying? We've got work to do. Get back to work. And if you go on and you read the book of Ezra, when they started working, the people threw a big fit. But they went to work anyway. And then you know what they ended up doing? They ended up going back and looking at the records. And you know what they found? They found Cyrus's proclamation to restore and build Jerusalem. And so after they saw that, when the king saw that, he's like, it was almost like he was trying to save face. And he's like, oh man, you know what? Not only are they allowed to rebuild that city, but we're going to help them. We're going to send materials. We're going to give them everything they need. And you know what? They got a great victory. But it was because they had faith. They didn't wait for the king to come and give them permission. You know what they did? They said, you know what? It's time. You know, just like there was a time, early, you know, a couple of years, you know, a little over a year ago, they were telling churches, hey, stop having church. And you know, a lot of people didn't know what was going on. But thankfully, churches started getting together and said, you know what? Who cares what they're saying? It's time to go back to church. It's time, it's time to get back to church. Who cares what they said? And you know what? A lot of people made a big stink. A lot of people sent letters. And you know what? Some of them got scared, took off running. Some of them got up and tore those letters up in church. And you know what? They ended up being victorious because they got back and they went looking at previous things. They went back and looked at the Constitution like, yeah, we can't tell them not to do this. And this is basically what ended up happening. That's basically the same thing we see happening in this story right here. So Israel just ended up having faith, did what they were supposed to do. And you know what? Everything worked out. It says in Ezra 6.14, and the elders of the Jews built it, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built it and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. So they started... On the first year of Cyrus, they ended on the sixth year of Darius. I don't know how much time that was. Okay, if I, I wish I knew for sure. I don't know if you can know for sure from the Bible. You might have to trust historical um, sources. I'm going to guess. It's my opinion. Okay, and it's my. Let me just be honest. It's my opinion because it fits my theology. All right, that could be wrong, but I think it took them 49 years. Okay, that, that's my opinion. Okay, now don't go running to John chapter two. I um, mean, look what it says in John chapter two, because this is another thing people don't understand. This is there's there's so much here. John two nineteen, Jesus answered and said to them, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." Then said the Jews, forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days?" So that says forty six years. That's pretty close. Now, if I want to force that into 49, I could say, well, they stopped the work for three years. But here's the thing about that, too. This could be a reference to what's known as Herod's temple. Because here's another thing, too, you need to understand. You have Solomon's temple that got wiped out by the Babylonians, but then you have Zerubbabel's temple. 
which is what we're reading about in Haggai and in Ezra that was being built. They'll call that Zerubbabel's temple. And then when Jesus was on earth, they have what was known as Herod's temple. Now, it was the same temple, but it was redone. And it was done, they say, in a magnificent way. All the historians, according to the historians, Herod's temple was an amazing sight to behold, just as Solomon's temple was also an amazing sight to behold. But Zerubbabel's temple, it would appear in the Bible that it was very inferior to Solomon's temple. So when they mentioned the 46 years, it could have been a reference to when they were doing getting the temple as it was in that day. But it could have been to the original building. I, you know, I, I don't know for sure on that, but um, I want look at what it says in Ezra 3. This is why one of the reasons I believe that it was Zerubbabel's temple was very inferior to the uh, Solomon's temple. It says, And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks to the Lord because He is good for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So this is early on in the rebuilding of the house of the Lord. It says, And many of the priests and the Levites and of the fathers which were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Now, I've heard a lot of preaching on this passage. I've heard a lot of people preach that you know those old men, they were weeping because they saw that temple and they remember the old temple and so it just moved them where the young guys they were just excited i've heard other people preach that the young guys were excited because hey look a temple they had never seen one before where the old guys who had seen the old temple they just wept and you know what i'm one of them old preachers today and i saw the old temple and then they start talking about the old paths i've heard these sermons before how it was but you know you all think Y'all think you got something going on here in this church, but let me tell you, I, I was there back in the days of, of you know John R. Rice, and I remember those meetings and all the great things, and y'all are shouting, but you know I see what's going on, and I just weep because it's inferior. I, I don't know; it, it's hard to tell just from Ezra, but look what it says in Haggai chapter two and verse three. This is one of the reasons I lean towards uh, the idea of it being inferior. It says, "Who is left among you?" that saw this house in her first glory. Because remember, there were some ancient men who were alive. There weren't a lot, but there were some. And it says, how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? So it's clear from this passage that this new temple, it wasn't like the old one. It just it wasn't the same thing. And so there's a lot of different theories on that passage. But either way, this just kind of shows you what was going on. So, you know, having said all this, let's go back to Haggai chapter 1. And remember, he shows up on the scene after the work had ceased on the rebuilding of the temple. The work had ceased and it was time for them to, to get back to work. And you know what I like when it says too? I like how it says that the prophets helped them. I like how it says they got up, they, they got up, they preached, they said what they needed to do. But then you know what? They got involved and they worked too. They worked right alongside the people I like that. And so, um, you know, so there's no doubt they had probably been talking about it because they're saying it's not time yet. The time's coming. You know what was going on? They kept saying two more weeks. 
you know, just, you know, just two more weeks, and you know, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to defeat the Medes and Persians, and then we're going to go, and, and then we'll be ready to rebuild the temple. Everybody's always waiting for a Donald Trump. You know, everybody's always waiting for a whatever. And, and finally, just somebody got up and said, no, it's time now. It's time for you. You get busy and do the work. And so in verse 3, it says, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? So they have their sealed houses or their coverings, their, their completed house, but the house of the Lord is lying waste. It's just sitting there. Nothing's, happen, nothing's happening with it. And God was upset with them because they were content with the fact that they had houses to dwell in, even though God didn't. The things of God were not a priority to them. And the title of the message tonight is the things of God first. That needs to be our mentality. That needs to be our attitude. The things of God should be the priority in our life. Obviously, we know that you know, family is important. Providing for your family. Being a good husband. You know, being a good father. Those things are all important. But you know we're supposed to put God first? And trust me. If you put God first, he's never going to ask you to neglect your family. He's not, God is not going to ask you to flush your family down the toilet. You know, you hear these preachers talk about how they've had to basically sacrifice their families so they can go preaching the gospel all over the world. Nobody asked them to do that. Nobody's asked them to do that. Most of these evangelists that talk about sacrificing their families so they can preach the gospel all over the world, I wouldn't even want them to come to my church. I think they're a bad example. And I don't even think their preaching is very good. So nobody asked them to sacrifice their family. I wish they'd have stayed home and took care of their family. And, you know, like, I, I believe that's what God wants us to do. But folks, under people, a lot of times, you know what they do? They hide behind their families to get out of doing the will of God. Well, let's just, and I'll, I'll probably say more about that in a little bit. Okay? But I'm telling you right now, there was a whole movement of people that I remember back in the 90s. The Gothard crowd. They were all family-centered, okay? I mean, they, they said that a lot of the same things that we say. You know, they were real big in homeschool, you know, and strong families, all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, these people, that group turned out sorry families. That's the same crowd that the Duggars are from. And we've all seen what that mess has produced. And they were like family first. Church, that was, they put it behind them. The things of God, they put it behind them. Folks, that doesn't work. You put the things of God first in everything. And trust me, God is not going to ask you to sacrifice your family. But let me tell you something. You throw, away, throw out the things of God for your family, and chances are you're going to lose your family. You've, got, you've always got to keep God priority in these things. And so, in, and so unfortunately, Israel, hey, we've got, we've got coverings. We've got houses. So... Yeah, you know, why would we shake things up and risk a battle and losing what we have? But you know what? If they didn't have a house of God like they were supposed to, if they didn't have the presence of God, you know what? They had nothing. But they, they were too carnal to even realize that. And so, verse 5 says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. It's time for you to think about what you're doing. Let's take a look. Let's, let's find out if your guys' new priorities 
are working out for you. Y'all started listening to Bill Gothard and he told you, you know what? Don't worry about the house Lord right now. You just need to take care of your family. We're living in perilous times right now. We got the Medes and Persians that are running everything. And you know what you just need to do? You just need to, you know, focus on them, take care of them and let and the things of God will take care of themselves. They've been listening to preaching like that. You know, that was going on back then, but you know what? Listen to what it says in verse six. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Now, look, folks, this reminds me of America right now. Trust me, Americans are eating. But you know what? They don't have enough. They're clothed. But you know what? They're not warm. It doesn't bring them contentment. There's no satisfaction. I mean, look at all that people have, and yet they're not content. I mean, everybody has internet these days. Everybody has cell phones. I mean, folks, we are stinking filthy rich in this country by any standards throughout history. We have cars. We have houses. We have more than enough food. We have you know, air conditioning. We have heat. I mean, you all are going to be able to keep warm and literally, you know what they used to have to do to keep warm? They had to go out and cut firewood and then they'd have to go start fires in their house and, and burn. You just have to fight over who's going to go turn up the thermostat. That's how hard things are for us. You know what that's called? That's called being stinking rich. But because you're watching television and you can't get everything that you're seeing on the commercials because you can't get, I think it was an $80 million yacht like Michael Jordan has. I think I saw the other day he had like, has like an $80 million yacht. And I was like, I should have played basketball. But I could have had an $80 million yacht. But, but folks, there's always going to be somebody that has more. But let me tell you something. Satisfaction, it only comes from God. It says in Psalms 106, verse 13, They soon forgot His works. They waited not for His counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. It wasn't enough that they had manna. They said, we want meat. And it says, and they tempted God in the desert, and he gave them their request. Oh, you, you want meat? You think you'll be satisfied with meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you meat till it's coming out of your noses. But you know what? God gave meat, but then it says he sent leanness to their souls. So understand, satisfaction, contentment, it comes from God. It doesn't come from things. Like we could just have some meat. No. I'll give you meat, but I'll show you. It's not going to make you happy. And then it says in Proverbs 10.22, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. So, this is the state of Israel right now during this time. They had the things that they need, yet they were in want. They had, you know, they had food, they had clothing, they had houses, but yet they weren't satisfied. And so the thought of, you know, risking losing any of those things, it seemed, you know, just... For the house of God, that's not going to put more food on their table. It's not going to make their houses any bigger or nicer. But they didn't, they didn't understand the reason they were there. They were to be a people of God. They had no business not having a house of the Lord. And it was time for them to get back to work. And the prophets is coming along. God sent along to give them a kick in the pants. So they get back to work. And so in verse 7 it says, Thus saith the Lord, Consider your ways. And you know what? America would be good, do good to consider her ways. You know, let's, again, let's think about how rich we are and how much drugs people are on. What's, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. 
we forgot God. We, for, we have forsaken the way of righteousness in this country. And so even though we're stinking, filthy, rich, we're miserable. We're so miserable, we've got people shooting places up, shooting up schools. We've got guys who've been handed thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars through welfare. They've been provided for where they didn't even have to work as if they were a king. And they're still so bitter and angry, they'll go run a car through a parade of people. That's how entitled they feel like they are. I mean, folks, that's living like a king when you don't have to work and yet everything's provided for you. Everyone's taking care of you. And let me tell you, all these people in these projects living off of welfare, they think they're so poor. They are being treated better than kings of old were treated. Listen, when I was in Ireland, I went to a castle from the 14th, 15th century. And I'm telling you right now, I would rather live in a housing complex than a castle back then. They were explaining the way they lived back then. They didn't, they didn't have running water. They showed us their bathroom. You know, you know what they did in their bathrooms back then? They had, it was up real high. And there was like a, a large pit. They sat over these bricks. Everything went down there. And that was where they would hang their clothes and things because the fumes from everything that would come up through there would kill a lot of the you know lice and ticks and all these other things. And so it was a way to kind of fumigate their clothing. And then they showed us the master bedroom. And they said whole families slept together. It was very rare back then that somebody even had a bed. And they pretty much, the floors was covered with hay and things. And that's, I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> you know, the, the, the princess movies make it all look so glamorous back then. But I'm like, this was the wealthy people back then? I'd rather be, I would rather live in any, any housing project out here that has running water. I'm, tell, I'm telling you that right now. And you, and you want to know why they had such these... And that's, here's the thing, too. It's like, well, it's not safe there. You know, you might get shot. If you look, everything in that house was built for defense because they were always under threat of being attacked. The stairs, you had to be real careful walking up the stairs because they were trip stairs. They were all different levels to make it harder for people. If they came up, running up there, they'd be falling down and stuff. Everything was strategic for battle, in that place. It was, it was, it was a fortress. It was meant for protection. I'm like, these are the rich people. They're living like animals and in fear for their life. I am so glad to be living in these days. And so I'm telling you, Americans, they, they need to go study some history, see what it's like in other places where our country is so spoiled and we, we just deserve to be wiped. We deserve to have of the famine of famines just come through this country and just starve us all to death. That is what, is what we all deserve because we are so ungrateful. And I hate to get sidetracked in this. I still got a lot more, but this just reminds me of America. And it, it's a shame. And so verse 8 says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. So they have their instruction. They now know the will of God. They need to stop trying to make themselves happy. And you know, God didn't say, if you do this, you know, you'll be happy. He said, no, if you do this, I'll be glorified. Folks, we need to never forget that is why we are here. We are here for His pleasure. God is not here for our pleasure. We are here for His pleasure. 
God is not here to serve us. We are here to serve Him. And unfortunately, most people today are getting out of the will of God because they don't feel like God is doing enough for them. That's you're, you got it all backwards. Your priority is you, and that's why you're miserable. Our priority is supposed to be God. And if our priority is God, then, we'll be ha- then, then we can find happiness. And so verse 8, because right here, this is how you'll find happiness. If, you're, if your goal is to please God and to make Him happy, then this is good news here. Hey, this is what will glorify God. You know what? Let's get back to work. Well, what if we get killed? What if we get attacked by the Persians? God will be glorified. That, that should be our attitude. Verse 9. Ye have looked for much, and lo, it came to little. When ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountain, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, upon the labor of the hands. You know what God told him that day? It's time to get back to work. And guess what? Famine's coming. I have called for a famine because you all have forgotten me. Now, think about it. This is not, now is not a good time to stop doing their own work to take care of the things of God because the famine's coming. And don't they need to protect their family? Listen, the best way to protect your family is to be in the will of God. That's how you protect your family. And I love what God said. You know, you look for much. He said, the things you brought in, he said, I blew on it. And let me tell you something. People get out of the will of God for an extra you know, few thousand dollars a year or something like that. You realize how fast God can take that away? Uh, I mean, one car accident, folks. One injury. I mean, one hospital visit. I mean, it, there are so many things that could happen that would destroy us financially. I mean, when you think about how hard we have to work sometime to just get some possession, to save up for some things, and you can lose it so stinking fast, you know what you just need to do is say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that stuff. I'm just going to do God's will. I'm just going I'm, I'm to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and, you know, and let all these things be added. That's the biblical mindset. And, and you think God won't do this kind of thing today? You better believe He will. You go and you give, you make yourself the priority. You put anything before God and just watch Him just blow your possessions away. And that's what He did to them. And, they, and so He did. He called for a famine. So verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God in the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. So just like we saw in Ezra, uh, the prophet, said he got busy and he went to work with them. And these people, they did the right thing. You know what they did? They heard the message and they feared God. And that's what we need in America right now. This country needs a good old-fashioned dose of the fear of God in their life. They need to take a look and do a spiritual evaluation and say, you know what, let's look at this country. Let's look at, you know, let's look at the churches. Let's look at Christians in the churches and our families and our priorities that we have and ask ourselves, have we been thinking about the things of God? Have we, do we even care about these things? And it, it's amazing too, 
You know, even in the last couple of years with all the COVID nonsense, the way people, because of a pandemic, they've just decided, you know what? Things of God, back burner. You know, let, let's just forget about these things. You know, because we got, we got to protect ourselves right now. Listen, difficult times is not the time to, you know, move God into second place. That, you know what, it's that whenever bad things are coming, that's when we need to consider our ways and check and see where God is in our life. Is he priority? Is he number one? Are we putting him first? And if we're not, then, you know, we need, we need to fix that because when difficult times come, we need God's protection. When a pandemic comes, you know what we need? God's protection. You know, when famines come, we need God's protection. That, and so we've got to make sure we stay focused on these things. And it says, <clears throat> And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And so also, uh, just like we saw in Ezra, we see that they got the they got the work done. They did what God wanted them to do. The temple uh, was built. Now, unfortunately, even though the temple got rebuilt and the sacrifices and everything began again, we see Israel once again backslid on God. Israel, uh, not long later, you know, you have the, the Greeks that came through and there was a bunch of destruction again then. Uh, that temple was desecrated during that time. I mean, all kinds of horrible things happened. But the, the moral of this story, I want, I want to stay focused here on chapter 1, is we have to keep the things of God priority in our life. He has to come first. We can't just say this. We all know we're supposed to put God first. You know, it, it's an easy slogan. It's an easy thing to repeat. But, you know, we can't get sidetracked chasing after the things of this world. They only bring temporary pleasure. And, and folks, this is a reminder too. How He starts it out talking about them dwelling in their sealed houses or, or they have their coverings. They have a completed place that they are able to live while the house of God is lying waste. And you know what we hear a lot of people today say? This is just how backwards things are. People will always t talk about how, oh, uh, you know, the church is doing great. You know, the church has all these things, but you know what? Families are struggling. They don't have anything. First off, that's not true in America. You know, families are doing just fine, but it just shows that they feel church is secondary. The things of God come secondary. And folks, this so that that movement, I don't I, I, I the, the people are still around I don't know if Gothard, I think he got busted for something. Does anybody know who Gothard is, Bill Gothard? Is he a pervert? Yeah, I, I, yeah, his, yeah he, a lot of his followers are perverts. I think he got busted for something. I, I don't know for sure. But folks, when we were growing up, when uh, anytime you had the homeschool family come to the church, the family that didn't put their kids in the nursery, the family that are kind of like a lot of us here, <laughs> they were almost always Gothard followers. And they were... and. They were always freaks. They always caused trouble. And there, and the thing is, they drove pastors crazy in churches because they would like come sit in the church. They bring a bad spirit and everything, but then they wouldn't get involved. 
you, you couldn't get those people to go soul winning to save your life. That was one major difference. You, you, these people did not get very involved in church. And they literally, it was like they hid behind their families. That was their excuse to not do anything that they didn't want to do. Well, you know, Sunday's family time. Really? Does it have to be Sunday? I mean, can't we let the Lord have that day? Can we, can we give God one day? That's literally the only... Because, you know, how dare you say, you know, I can't do something for my family. And they would, it was whatever, sat, you know, anytime they would get challenged on something that they weren't doing, family was always their excuse. And I grew up around a lot of these people. Most of them didn't stay in our church for long, but I'm telling you, I've seen the fruit of it. Decades later, I'm talking 100% of the families that I knew out of that movement turned out the worst kids you've ever seen in your life. Every one of those kids, as soon as they got old enough, they escaped from that horrible prison of a home that they lived in. You better believe these people taught out spanking and all that kind of stuff and discipline. And I believe in it. But folks, you can take these things too far. Do you know you can spank your kid without abusing your child? But these people, they never seem to know. And I'm telling you, I, I remember my dad talking about this. I remember my uncle who's going to be here in a few months talking about this. And they, they saw what was coming with these people before it even happened. They knew they were not going to turn out good families. They knew those kids were all going to be trying to escape from the home just as soon as they were able to. And they kept saying, this is what, this is what they always say, God is not going to bless you when you don't factor in the church, when you don't factor in the things of God. And these people, most of them came from really bad situations. A lot of them were like former hippies and stuff. And, you know, they remembered all how horrible that was. And so they just went this ultra conservative route. And it was, it was just family, family, family. So I, I don't even, and it said a lot of them didn't go to church. A lot, a lot of these people, home church and stuff, even before internet made it cool to do that kind of thing. And they didn't have live streams and things they could watch back then. A lot of them, a lot, you know what a lot of them did? A lot of them watched S.M. Davis videos. They would order all his stuff and, and watch it instead of going to church. It, my wife, her family got involved in some of that stuff, and they used to do some of that. Where instead of going to church, they would sit at home and watch S.M. Davis videos. Folks, that doesn't work. Listen, God instituted the church for many reasons and we need we need this in our life to be balanced people to turn out good families god is not going to bless you if and you know you're just all focused on your family and you're forgetting about what he's called you to do god has called us to be ambassadors for him god has called us to be witnesses in this world and that's one thing that i'm thankful for you know in the churches that we fellowship with who do have a lot of the similar things to the Gothard crowd that were good. What they also have is they also are very strong on church and soul winning. And that's good. Now, some of the people, they've got the soul winning down and they still don't have the church down. They're just doing the online stuff. They're going to continue to be freaks. Okay? And I'm not trying to be mean, but that's just a fact. You have to 
you can't factor the church out and just not become a freak. It's it's just the way it is. And you say, I I need a Bible verse on that. Well, first off, we've got all the Bible verses telling us we need to be in church. That we're supposed to be exhorting one another. So there's all the verses that are telling us to do that. But I'm telling you, based on my experience, people who decide, no, I'm going to focus on my family first. I'm just going to do it at home. Always turn out freaks. It just, it, it doesn't work. And I'm afraid that uh, it's going to be the death of a lot of people, you know, spiritually speaking, if they don't get busy and do what God wants first. And so understand, putting God before your family is not going to put your family in danger. Your family is not going to struggle and suffer because you put God first. God's not going to ask you to sacrifice your families for him. You know what God's going to do? God, God is going to help you to actually be a good husband and to love your wife and to nurture and care for those children. You will get those things if you put God first. And so always keep him first. And then you know what? God will bless you. God will protect your family. The last thing I want is God blowing on what I've got. It's the last, the last thing I want. And it is. It's like that happens with a lot of family. Fine. You're, you know, I gave you that family. I gave you all those wonderful children and you're going to use them as an excuse to not serve me. You know what? The Lord gave and the Lord taken away. You know, God can, God can do that. So we must always keep the things of God first. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this wonderful chapter and this, uh, the great challenge it gives to all of us. And I pray all of us, Lord, as individuals, we will consider our ways and make sure you priority in everything dear god i pray we'll do it as individuals as families as a church and dear god i pray that uh, there'll be an awakening in this nation lord we have so much yet we are so miserable and there is no doubt lord that uh, you have sent leanness to the souls of these people and so i pray that there'll be an awakening and that there will be a fear of god uh, reestablished in the hearts of people in this country and i pray that you'll Uh, Give that satisfaction that only you can give. In your name we pray. Amen.